The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 248 for February 27th, 2011. Brain activity increases with cell phone use, Windows Phone coming to CDMA, and Nexus owners finally get their gingerbread. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week with the help of listeners like you, subscribers to The Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked. More information at thecellphonejunkie.com. The show is also supported by The Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and the iOS for $1.00. And 99 cents. Well, first this week, let's follow up on the Sprint conversation that we started at the beginning of last week's show, where I was trying to get a phone number ported into my existing Ciro account on Sprint. Now, I was having all sorts of issues with them not having ports go through and whatnot. And uh, after the show was recorded last week, I ended up spending about another 90 minutes on Sunday evening uh, with the folks over at Sprint. And uh, after two additional calls, I finally was able to get the number ported over. The first person I talked to essentially told me that it was not going to be possible, that you could not bring a Sprint number over to, or another number into a Sprint serial line, that once you had uh, a number assigned to your account, uh, that was it. You weren't able to do anything else. Um, and uh, that was obviously not true, because this is the second number I've had with that account. Uh, and finally, I talked to someone who said, yes, we can get this port to, to go through. And I said, well, I've heard that now three or four times since I've been doing this. And she said, no, 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 I, I know what needs to be done here. Um, there's the, the ports have not been entered properly. We'll be able to do it here. You'll have it done within the next 45 minutes or something like that. Um, and interestingly, I was uh, I told the person, it's my brother-in-law that I'm giving the, the plan to, and I told him that, uh, and I said, well, good luck. This may or may not happen. And on the phone call that we were having, his number moved from T-Mobile over to Sprint, and the call dropped, and he never got service back on the T-Mobile account, and uh, it had moved right over to Sprint, and uh, was good to go. And of course, at that time, you probably should have mentioned to the rep, uh, you know, kind of stated how many times you had called and uh, how frustrating it is that uh, every other person you talked to didn't know what they were doing. And maybe uh, maybe that person could uh, maybe let somebody know that this really is not providing customer service. Uh, you know, that was I was at that point if uh, I made a number of comments on Twitter that I was just I was trying to. I was just venting, I guess, is the best thing I can say. I was so so frustrated. You get to a point where you just you don't even want to deal with it at all anymore. And I just wanted to cancel the account at one point, and I kind of backed up, and I said, no, 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 we'll, we'll get through this, and eventually we did. Yeah, it's, it is frustrating because it, it's, it's something that should be pretty simple, just porting a number over, and they make it like pulling teeth. And, of course, that seems like a lot of big businesses doing this now. Uh, you know, customer service is kind of a complete afterthought and more of a customer disservice than than uh, more times than not, it seems like, for big companies. Importing has been going on for, what now, three, four years. It's not like it's a new feature, a new thing that they're trying to figure out. In fact, you know, they can do it in a matter of minutes. And so it's, it's, um, it's not like it, it can't be done. Um, so it was, that was a little frustrating, I guess. But whatever, we'll move on. Um, and I, I no longer have my, my Sprint line, so I'm down to just Verizon and AT&T. Well, it's not that I no longer have it. I just don't have it uh, on me. It's now being used by another member of my family, which I'm happy to uh, to have because it's saving him uh, you know, over $45 a month uh, being able to use the uh, the Ciro plan. So for those that have it, hopefully you've been able to figure out a way to keep hang on to it because it's, uh, it's probably the best plan uh, that you can get there, at least on the consumer side. Well, let's jump into the news. First off this week, how using a cell phone can affect your body is still completely unknown, but recent studies by the National Institute of Health are shedding light on what's actually happening in a person's brain. The frequencies that are being used um, when a phone is placed directly next to your head are having an effect on brain activity. The researchers are, are using PET scans to measure activity in uh, 50 participants, and they found that when cell phones were held up to a head, uh, the amounts of brain activity rose by about 7% in the region closest to the antenna on the cell phone. Yet no conclusive evidence that using a mobile phone is leading to increased health risks like uh, cancer or anything like that. Uh, but certainly if you're concerned about this, you should be using an accessory like a headset or perhaps your speakerphone to mitigate that. Now, I have to question something here, Mickey. This image you have posted with the thermographic image now, was this actually part of the uh, th this particular story, or was this something that was uh, similarly re related? 
No, this, the, the photo, they didn't have any photos with the story. The story came from ABC. The photo I found uh, from a completely separate uh, story that was talking about it. Because the, the recent story here, the, the, the research that was done by the National Institute of Health, they had people be using phones for 50 minutes and they were showing uh, in infrared, um, or they, excuse me, they were showing a PET scan view. Uh, to figure out that there was a 7% increase versus this other story that I grabbed the picture from just for the sake of having a picture was actually showing an infrared photo of, of a person's head that was using a phone. Yeah, because I saw that and I'm like, well, of course you're going to have a big red spot on the side of your head after using a phone for 50 minutes. The phone itself is nice and warm. Yeah, no, it's totally separate. <laughs> the, the issue with this story is the brain activity. The 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 fact that your your brain is is uh, got more going on in that particular area, right around the antenna after it's uh, you know after you've used it. Um, very little is still known about this, but like I said, just you know if you're concerned about it, use things like headsets to 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 reduce your risk. Yeah, that's totally a good way to go. Is to uh, you know Bluetooth uses a lot less power. I mean, it's still is transmitting radio at you know 2.4 gigahertz but the the milliwatts are is drastically reduced from your cell phone but also um you know the they didn't really specify where the antenna was placed on the on this particular phone modern phones now the antennas are always in the base which gets it away from your brain um directly so you're getting actually quite a bit of separation like on my style for example that's way down by my mouth so maybe i'll get lip cancer but um, it's uh, drastically farther away, it, 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 really, in terms of the, the power output, because, you know, it's an exponential uh, decrease in the power when you get away from the actual transmitting device in a, in a radius. And I, and I don't necessarily think that it's, it's going to provide, uh, and, and I guess, we, you know, we don't know. Cell phones are relatively new. We don't know if there's going to be issues like this that come up, but um, I, I don't see all sorts of different types of cancers that are are we're seeing at least speculation on it's really brain cancer solely i mean think about how much you're you're holding your phone when it's it's on and it's transmitting data uh whether it's you know wi-fi or uh you know or the, the cellular radio um, we haven't seen any issues with you know skin cancers or hand or tumors in, in people's hands from that and and again, it may be too soon at this point, but I, I, you know, I hear more about people with joint problems from texting too much than I do about things like, you know, cancer of the hand. Yeah, that's completely, uh, it's a very good statement there as well. And, and also, you know, like you said, the, uh, you know, your brain is kind of protected by your skull a bit. Um, and then also one thing to really just, you know, take into consideration here, the amount of power that your cell phone actually transmits, transmits with is very, very low. And no matter what, um, you know, health effects are caused by, you know, radiation in that frequency, it's transmitting at such a low power that really that it, 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 the, the possibility of it doing any cellular damage is just very, very slight because it just doesn't have any power to even just infiltrate the cells. For those that have been using two-way radios for years, which, you know, they've been around forever. I mean, you think about for, you know, everything from the consumer side and CB radios to on the commercial side, you've got law enforcement, uh, you know, fire department, EMS, they've been using two-way radios. They're holding a, a radio that's transmitting at, at a minimum, you know, four watts up really close to their head. Uh, granted, it's not for 50 minutes at a time, but it's multiple times a day for, you know, multiple days a week. And, um, and it much higher powers um granted you, and, and and think about in cars too you know when they're they're in their patrol cars and they're talking on the radio and they're they're holding down that transmit button and it's it's sending out and those are really really powerful truckers I mean, think of all the 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 types of enterprise that are based around radio waves and and you can kind of get the why there's a lot of skepticism about whether or not this is actually the thing that's causing the problem uh, or if it's just you know something that's compiling it uh, and, and really causing for more things to happen so uh, anyway an, an interesting study nonetheless and, and so wanted to bring it up because uh, it was something that got picked up and was posted by a number of uh, large media sources so uh, that news is out there and uh, take it for what it's worth well the GSMA on Monday announced over a dozen global network operators 
that have committed to supporting near-field communications uh, in the coming year. Of the groups, you've got Deutsche Telekom, China Unicom, Orange, SoftBank, Telecom Telecom Italia, and uh, Telecom Austria. NFC is perhaps the best known best known for its role in enabling mobile payments, but the applications go far beyond that. The chairman of the GSMA and Telecom Italia said that NFC represents an important innovation opportunity and will facilitate a wide range of interesting services and applications for consumers, such as mobile ticketing, mobile computing, mobile couponing, and exchange of information and content, including control, access to cars, homes, hotels, office car parks, and much more. The GSMA says that the total payment value for NFC globally will reach more than 110 billion euros by 2015. Well, Consumer Reports is added again, this time testing out the Verizon version of the iPhone 4. And with their test this week, they once again found that testers could place a finger over a gap in the lower left side of the metal band wrapping around the phone's edge and significantly reducing uh, the signal that was received by the phone. Now, according to the tests, reception typically dropped notably within 15 seconds or so of the gap being bridged, and the iPhone eventually dropped the call when touched at a very low signal strength. Uh, Levels around one bar on the phone's signal strength meter were needed, though, to make those calls drop. Consumer Reports says that when an iPhone bumper is used, the signal loss problem is eliminated. This is a very interesting uh, story that they came out with. I mean, it sounds like their testing methods are fairly sound, and they got the right equipment to do this with. So I guess you have to say this is actually accurate. However, we've kind of had a lot of people um, not say anything about this so far. And a lot of people have tested this uh, and tried to grip the phone as tight as they can and have not had issues. So there's two things going on here. We've got um, we've got a slightly re- redesigned uh, antenna where they put the, the, the gap, that's uh, the issue where you're shorting the two antennas out essentially. And then also we've got a different network running on different frequencies. And I think the different network and different frequencies, which really has made this problem not show up in the Verizon iPhone. So since they've done this testing, they've basically proved that the, the uh, antenna issue still exists. They have not insulated the metal from your fingers from conducting between the two radios in there. So, but but it's really a non-issue unless you're in a very low signal area, like they say. And that's you know same thing with the with the AT and T iPhone. Unless you're in a low signal area, even if you're you know killing the signal with your finger, it doesn't really affect you until you get to that point where then it drops below the the, the noise floor. So um, it looks like uh, using a bumper is definitely something you should uh, think about doing with the Verizon iPhone. And I've had a chance both at an Apple store and I've got a family member that has the Verizon iPhone now and I've got to try it out a few times. And I've been, it kind of seems like there's not an issue when you use it. And as Consumer Reports has also mentioned in their their findings is that it's truly the network. And I think the frequencies, Joey, as you said, have a lot to do with it. In fact, I, I was I was gripping the thing. I was trying to make it lose service, and, and I couldn't do it. I mean, with the AT&T version, which I have a tower within probably two-tenths of a mile from me, um, I can get the phone to drop all the way down from basically four bars of 3G down to into the edge range. It totally drops out 3G, gets down to one bar and then flips over to edge. So so I'm I realize that it's it's not completely gone, but um not as nearly as many people are gonna see the issue uh with with Verizon, I think. And so um, you know, consumer reports still cannot recommend that you purchase the phone though. They're saying, you know, hey, we need a phone that you don't have to use a case with and then we'll recommend it and, and they still can't do that. So an interesting though uh, to see that uh, that research come out from them. Well, we saw some Q4 numbers come out from a number of different companies this week. First up, Leap Wireless, parent company to Cricket, announced its fourth quarter results on Tuesday, and they reported an increase in subscribers but a dip in profits. The carrier gained around 430,000 customers during the fourth quarter of 2010 and included 155,000 voice net customer additions. They ended the year with 5.52 million customers. Profits, however, did not fare as well, with a net loss of $250 million for the fourth quarter on service revenues that increased to $636 million, or 11%, compared to the prior year. Leap's churn for the fourth quarter was 4%, an improvement from the 4.7% of the prior year, and the ARPU for the quarter was $38.14. That's down 1.5% from a year ago. 
MetroPCS on Thursday announced their earnings, reporting nearly 300,000 new subscribers and an increase in revenue. The company reported a net profit of $14 million, down 59% from the $33 million it had in the year-ago quarter. Further, total revenue was $1.07 billion, up 15% from the $930 million it recorded last year. Churn fell to 3.5%, down from 5.3% a year ago. Finally, the ARPU dropped to $39.79, down from $40.70, uh, $0.40 cents, uh, in the year prior. MetroPCS executives declined to comment on how many LTE subscribers the company has, though CFO Braxton Carter said that the shift to LTE is not transformational, but evolutionary and will take some time. Carter said MetroPCS is supportive of Light Squared Squared's planned wholesale LTE network, but declined to say whether MetroPCS was one of the companies that had signed with the new carrier. Uh, if there are opportunities for us outside of our footprint to take advantage of an L- LG for, uh, excuse me, LTE 4G network, uh, they're looking into that and they are supportive of it. Now, U.S. Cellular released their numbers and they reported uh, a loss in subscribers, but a slight increase in revenue. The company ended 2010 with 6.07 million total subscribers, which is down 31,000 for the quarter. The company reported total revenue of just over a billion dollars for the quarter and total service revenues at 992 million. Retail postpaid churn was a percent and a half, which is down from 1.6% in the fourth quarter of last year, and the ARPU increased to $47.41 from the $47.07 in the year-ago quarter. And finally, T-Mobile, they released their numbers on Friday, showing an increase in revenues but decreasing customers. For the quarter, service revenues ended at $4.69 billion, which is up uh, 1% compared to the fourth quarter of 2009. As the end of the year, at the end of the year, 33.73 million customers subscribed to T-Mobile, which is down 23,000 from the 33.76 million at the end of the third quarter and 33.79 million at the end of the fourth quarter last year. And of those 23,000 subscribers lost in the quarter, postpaid subscriber losses totaled 318,000. T-Mobile says this relatively high number can be blamed on fewer gross subscriber additions driven by revised credit standards and competitive pressure. T-Mobile's prepaid net additions, including MVNO customers, were 295,000 in the quarter, down from the 488,000 in the year-ago quarter. I mean, it is kind of interesting they've lost so many customers, considering how highly they've been ranked for many years for their customer service. And I know that's uh, one thing that Sprint, of course, has been uh, you know really uh, criticized for recently. And of course, they've been gaining. But I think that you know the marketing with the Evo and a few of the other devices they've had really have. Uh, been okay for Sprint here, but T-Mobile, they seem to be kind of lacking in that department. Uh, they had some hits there with the original G1 and a couple of other, what is it, the the My Touch 3G, but um, it, it's one of those things where like the article talked about, they're kind of in the middle. They're they're not a low-end carrier where where people who want to really save money go with T-Mobile, and they're not, not a high-end carrier like Verizon and, and AT&T with the iPhones now and some of the other, you know, really hot new uh, Android devices. So now they're being squeezed because the, the the people who want to save more money go to either prepay or they go to a, a different carrier altogether. But uh, that puts them in a really awkward position, which of this it's really showing in with these uh, numbers. Yeah, over three hundred thousand people lost uh, for the quarter, which uh, that that's a that's pretty significant. Um, that's also uh, brought their churn, uh, you know, up a tick. They're up to three point six percent, and uh, also the ARPU dropped. They're down to forty six bucks. That's down a dollar from the third quarter. So um, they're, they're still uh, they're, they're still hanging in there. You know, thirty three million customers is still great. I know Deutsche Telekom though uh, they've mentioned it in the past. They would like to see T Mobile take over uh, as the number three carrier here eventually. Well, and I think, you know, it may be slightly starting to backfire on them is the 3G network on the 1700. Uh, you know, they're limited in devices they can get because they just can't get the same devices that AT&T gets from HTC or whatever manufacturer because they need a separate radio. They also have not really expanded their 3G network as uh, much as they should have by this point. I mean, it's it was fine at first to only have a few cities launched in, but now that we're uh, this far into it, they really haven't expanded their 3G footprint as much as they probably should have to, to stay competitive. So I'm sure that's really hurting them as well. 
Well, 3G and 4G. I mean, seeing you know where they're gonna where they're gonna draw the line, how they're gonna continue the upgrades, and uh, I know I've I've talked about it in the past. I'm I'm not a big T-Mobile 3G fan because I can't use it where I live, and which is not that I'm out that far. It just it's just an area that they've chosen not to cover yet. Well, and it's still not the true uh, 4G. It's the 4G. The 4G. Yes, it's uh. We, in fact, if you're interested in hearing more about 4G and all the other G's. We've got a great Unlocked show coming up this week. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. Well, also, multiple online resellers of AT&T service this week announced they will no longer be doing business with the carrier due to a business strategy change. That's all they're saying. Both Wirefly.com and Let'sTalk.com said the change goes into effect on March 8th. AT&T has not made any announcements regarding the change or if any other partners will be affected. Users of the new HSPA Plus devices on AT&T's network may be seeing slower than expected upload speeds. And Gadget chronicles the details in a piece this week talking about AT&T's requirement that the device's handshake at the slower release five of the 3GPP standards. This specification that introduced HSDPA back in 2002 is the one that's being used by all devices on the network with the exception of the iPhone 4 and certain USB modems. Apparently in release 6, this is where we bring the upload speeds to HSUPA and finally in release 7 is where we're going to see HSPA plus speeds. So AT&T believes that the certification will be brought up to release six for all devices within the next few months. And this is always the thing we had had kind of speculated on before, uh, you know, 3G really made it big in handsets a couple of years ago, how USB modems always seemed a lot faster than the uh, actual phones themselves. And this is why, because they always certify the data devices one step ahead. So they're always keeping a little bit faster. But until uh, all these handsets get the HSPA+, Plus, then they'll probably be on the same level uh, playing field. Well, the interesting thing about it is that AT&T is not saying that they're going to be certifying devices for release 7, which is HSPA+. Plus. They're going to be doing release 6. So that means that all these devices that they're saying are quote-unquote 4G are really going to be seeing the same speeds as what you see right now on the the iPhone that they have on their network. So it, it's uh, it's a little curious, right, that they're going to uh, really be touting this network as a 4G network, but they're not going to be letting their phones uh, run on it. At least that's what we're hearing right now. Well, hey, does uh, does their actual um, disclaimer actually say the phones uh, run on the 4G network? I mean, they say they have a 4G network, but they don't probably necessarily have to say the phones are on the 4G network. All of this speculation and total, you know, insignificant, you know, we just don't know about what this is, just proves my point. We are not talking about a true 4G network. We're talking about what they say the network will be capable of speeds that are similar to 4G networks, but it's it's not 4G in the truest sense. It, it's, uh, it's, it's quite annoying and obviously gets me a little bit worked up. Uh, moving on, the FCC last week sent a letter to Verizon questioning the carrier on a reported 10,000 dropped calls placed to 911 in Maryland during a blizzard last month. The large number of missed 911 calls on January 26th is alarming, said the FCC, and they therefore request that Verizon provide an explanation of the causes to this and similar failures providing Verizon's assessment of the possibility of this occurrence to happen uh, in preventing it from happening in future cases. Verizon has two weeks to resolve the issue. Verizon Wednesday also announced a new partnership with Motorola that will offer access to its LTE network for public safety agencies around the country. The plan lets various police, fire, and EMS departments communicate through uh, through the entire network and roam where needed, according to Mike Landman, president of Enterprise and Government Markets for Verizon. He said, Verizon's advanced wireless networks will complement Motorola's private network solution to help public safety agencies run their operations more efficiently and effectively. The advanced capabilities of LG, uh, excuse me, 4G LTE, uh, which Verizon Wireless is aggressively deploying across the U.S., will allow agencies to leverage more applications and rich media services than were previously available or too cost prohibitive to implement in the wireless environment. 4G LTE brings a true mobile broadband experience to the agencies and allows them to do the same type of work inside the police cruiser that they currently are doing in offices. Yeah, I think this is a great, uh, great step here for public safety is to have these 4G networks. I think it'll really be a, a major improvement to some of the, the, the mobile data they have access to uh, for law enforcement and for uh, fire departments even. So it's, just, it's great that uh, Motorola and Verizon are working together, you know, Motorola being the one who provides the data services to the uh, government uh, or the, the police departments and the, 
the uh, fire departments, uh, you know, because it's a package service with the radios and the MDTs and everything. So it's great that they're working with Verizon to bring the LTE to them. And it's not just, uh, you know, web browsing and stuff like that. This can bring all sorts of multimedia capabilities, whether it's audio, video. Um, There's there's tons of different things when you've got a dedicated 5 to 12 megabit per second network that you're going to pretty much see everywhere that you're going that you can do. And uh, to be able to get real-time information or possibly streaming out of all, you know, audio or video or whatever it is, um, this... The, the the number of opportunities that this opens up is truly uh, you know unbelievable, and so I think it's it's great that they're going to be moving to LTE as well. Uh, I definitely like to see and support public safety and things like this. Well, rumor last week of unlimited plan price reductions may not have come to fruition for T-Mobile, but they did create something close. Starting today, Sunday, February 27th, T-Mobile customers can choose a new $80 even more plan that includes 1,500 minutes plus unlimited messaging and data. The plan is $20 less than the unlimited voice offering currently from the carrier. U.S. Cellular on Monday announced a new promotion offering six phones for the price of one when you buy before March 10th. Customers purchasing a Samsung Mesmerize, the Galaxy S device, for $100 or an LG Optimus U for $300 can get up to five Optimus U smartphones for free. A new contract is required for each line per the terms of service from U.S. Cellular. Well, thanks to our first sponsor, Square Trade. You can protect your investments through a special offer from the company. They offer prices 70% lower than in store warranties and if you visit squaretrade.com slash junkie you'll get an additional 25% off your order. Square Trade offers a five day guarantee meaning you'll either have a fixed device or your money back within five days or less. Visit squaretrade.com slash junkie. Click on get a warranty and choose your device. Once you're done you'll see your podcast listener bonus under the order summary for 25% off the total order. Thanks to Square Trade for sponsoring this show. Apple this past week sent out press invites for a media event they'll be holding at 10 a.m. in the Bay Area this coming Wednesday. The event is expected to be the official unveiling of the iPad 2, though all Apple says is, come see what 2011 will be the year of. It's a little uh, incorrect grammar there on Apple's part, but we're expecting to see a brand new iPad this week with increased memory, increased uh, storage capacities potentially, and possibly a new front-facing camera. It doesn't look like we're going to be seeing a lot of major changes to this, more like a iPhone 3G to 3GS upgrade. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what the approach Apple's taking here. It seems like they're kind of doing a two-year cycle, it seems, on their devices, where it's kind of a minor step-up upgrade in the, the mid-half-year cycles here. Not the half-year, but the each every other year, they're kind of doing a, a bigger update. Hmm. Well, we'll uh, we'll see what they come out with here this uh, this uh, Wednesday, I guess it is March second, to see what 2011 will be the year of. The Wall Street Journal Friday spoke with Verizon CEO Dan Mead, who hinted that Apple will be offering 4G LTE products. He said, you'll see more coming from Apple on LTE. They understand the value proposition of LTE, and I feel very confident that they are going to be a part of it. Specifics about products or a timeline, though, were not mentioned. Sprint on Thursday announced its first Windows Phone 7 device, the HTC Arrive. The device has been long known as the HTC 7 Pro. Features include a 3.6-inch touchscreen at 480 by 800 resolution, a sliding and tilting QWERTY keyboard, 1 gigahertz Snapdragon processor, 16 gigs of internal memory, 1500 milliamp hour battery, 5 megapixel camera with flash and 720p video recording, Bluetooth 2.1, and Wi-Fi BGNN. The HTC Arrive will be available starting on March 20th for $200 with contract. Verizon on Thursday released the Motorola Zoom, its 10.1-inch 4G-capable tablet. The carrier said the Honeycomb-based device will start at $600 with a two-year service contract or $800 without. 3G data service will run buyers $20 a month for one gig of data. Verizon notes that the Zoom will be upgradable to 4G LTE in the second quarter of this year for free. Further details midweek came out regarding the LTE upgrade, and it seems you'll only be without your Zoom for a few days during the transition. Approximately 90 days after the launch, customers will be able to send their Zoom units back to Motorola free of charge for the promised LTE upgrade. The whole process, according to the data sheet, should take about six business days. The memo also notes that users do not have to change their data plan when transitioning over to the 4G network. And finally, on Friday, Verizon said that data pricing once the Zoom is upgraded to LTE will remain the same as the EVDO version of the device. A Verizon spokeswoman said that... uh, 
the Zoom customers will buy the that buy the eVideo version will not have to change their plans when they upgrade to LTE. The plans start at one gig for twenty dollars a month, like I mentioned, and also include a three gig, five gig, or ten gig plan for thirty five, fifty, and eighty dollars respectively. HTC on Friday announced the Android 2.2 powered merge featuring a slide out QWERTY keyboard and the Sense UI. Features include a 3.8 inch screen, 5 megapixel camera, and 720p video. The phone will be coming to multiple North American carriers, and this is HTC's first Android based CDMA world phone. Now, I was thinking about this device, and uh, I, I thought, wow, that's, that's kind of exciting. There's an Android based CDMA world phone, and then I thought, wait a second. Motorola did the Droid 2 Global like six, eight months ago. So this isn't the first uh, world phone on CDMA with Android, but it's the first one from HTC. And maybe a little too late for them uh, with this one. I think they probably should have focused on, uh, you know, an LTE version that uh, also had the global roaming on it. But for those that are looking for an Android device from HTC, they will now have a choice with the HTC Merge. Yeah, and it's just kind of the the typical HTC devices we used to see on Windows Mobile, you know, the, not so much the the Touch Pro Two because it doesn't have the uh, the tilt hinge, but it's basically that same form factor that they've had in many different devices. It's not all that exciting to me, but a lot of people really like it. I'm I'm not a slider fan, but whatever. Verizon also announced on Thursday was lowering the price of the Samsung Galaxy Tab to $300 with a new contract. Previously, the tab was only available from the carrier for $500 with no contract. The change makes the price comparable to other carriers such as Sprint and T-Mobile. Speaking of T-Mobile, they Thursday raised prices on two of their older Android handsets. The MyTouch 4G and T-Mobile G2 both went from $200 to $250 on contract. Kind of an interesting move there. Well, if you're looking for another way to support the cell phone junkie, you can join us on TCPJ Unlocked. Our bi-monthly premium podcast is available for $5 a month or $45 for a whole year. You'll get in-depth conversations about the latest in cellular issues, interviews with industry experts, and much more. Sign up is easy. Just visit thecellphonejunkie.com. Click the link on the right side for TCPJ Unlocked. A big thank you to everyone that subscribes. And as I mentioned earlier, we will be releasing a show this week talking all about the G's, whether it's first-generation networks from the 80s or the 4G networks or 4G networks, as we like to call them, of today. We're talking all about each of them. Make sure that you subscribe if you are not already to hear the show. Well, according to Mac Rumors, one of their readers emailed Steve Jobs about recent reports that Apple's new subscription policy would hurt applications such as Netflix. Jobs responded that software as a service applications are not impacted and the subscription services that they're talking about are for publishing apps only. Uh, this update and this change, I guess, that Jobs is, is putting forth uh, really, uh, I think it's a good thing. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago on the Unlock show about how this was going to be a, a problem, I think, for Apple. And I, for them to come out and say this is only for publishing apps is is a pretty big step. I don't think uh, anyone wanted to see Netflix uh, raise their prices just because they had to do so to be listing something in the App Store where Apple was getting 30% of the revenue. So it sounds like just publishing apps, so magazines and newspapers and the like are going to be the ones that have the option uh, for subscribing uh, through those. Uh, through Apple. Well, not the option, but the requirement of of doing that. Yep. Uh, And that, of course, makes perfect sense. Of course, the timing of this was right when they started doing the uh, whatever, the daily. The daily. Um, And it's something they've kind of promised for a while. But and that makes sense. If you if you're going to have a publication that's going to be on the iPad and it's kind of that rich media publication. Yeah, okay, it's a new media, basically. But when you're taking all those uh, existing styles of, of apps and services, that it just doesn't make any sense because there's so many different style of applications. Like in this email here, you know, if you're talking about salesforce.com, how do you do that? I mean, you're taking an existing platform that's across many different devices and many different, you know, styles and, and usage and say, okay, we need to require 30%. It just throws everything up on its end. Hmm. Well, we'll uh, we'll see when they finally start enforcing this. If they do, in fact, uh, pick and choose applications, or if it's uh, there's going to be any sort of uh, method to uh, the way that they do it. But uh, good to see that at least Steve Jobs is were rumored to have heard <laughs> that says that it's not going to affect the software as a service apps. Sling Media on Wednesday released an update of its Sling Player software for the iOS, bringing it to version two point one. 
The update fixes bugs and adds supports for video out to component cables when streaming in high-quality mode. The update is free for existing users or $30 for an initial download. Sling also announced the upgrade of its mobile app for Android, bringing higher-quality streaming via version 1.2 to Android. Like the iOS version, it is free, and the new user price is 30 bucks. Google on Tuesday announced that they'd begin rolling out its Android 2.3.3 gingerbread operating system to the Nexus 1 and Nexus S. The update is planned to roll out to all devices over the next few weeks. And with the update to 2.3.3, Google will start enforcing its policy regarding data portability. The policy requires that data be easily exported to other devices, which Facebook does not allow, and when an application doesn't, its data will be relegated to its own database. This means that Nexus S users receiving the update to 2.3.3 will no longer be able to integrate Facebook friends into their Android contacts application. Google said, we will continue to believe that reciprocity, the expectation that if information can be imported into a service, then it should be able to be exported, is an important step towards creating a world of true data liberation and encourage other websites and app developers to allow users to export their contacts. This is um, kind of Google throwing their weight around and saying, look, Facebook, you need to change the way that you do things. And this is not exclusive to Android. This is how it is for every operating system. They, they allow the data to be you know, slid over into contacts, but you, you can't pull it out of there. It's, uh, it's kind of annoying, and I think Google's doing a good thing here, but I don't know if it's going to change what Facebook does. They, just, they seem to be too big as well. And if you've been confused about the numeric version numbers of Android lately and how they relate to the dessert names, you're not alone. Android community detailed what's happening, stating that Android 2.4 will be in the gingerbread family and that Android 2.3 is only for the Nexus models. Any upgrades to existing devices and new handsets that ship with gingerbread will have Android 2.4. This isn't the first time that only one device will get a version. Think back to the Motorola Droid, which was the only Eclair version to run Android 2.0 and everything else ran Android 2.1. AT&T Thursday started rolling out 2.2 to the Samsung Captivate. Changes include USB tethering, mobile hotspot, flash 10.1, speed and performance optimizations, and the ability to install applications directly to an SD card. The update will be available on on all Captivate handsets within the next few weeks. And just days before the update began rolling out to Epic 4G users, Sprint has once again pulled the process from servers due to increasing support calls and multiple issues. Sprint says the issues that have been reported include data connect or have been related to data connectivity following the upgrade and SD card issues when attempting to access photos, music, and etc. If you're experiencing these issues, a hard reset uh, will be required to resolve the problems. No word on when the update will be back. AT&T announced via its Facebook page that the rollout of 2.2 to the HTC Aria will be underway. The update can be downloaded from HTC's website, which the, the device will have to be then hard reset and all data will be deleted in order to do so. Uh, this is a obviously kind of a, a problem, I think, for most customers and may you know, kind of entice them not to do it because if you don't have your device backed up somewhere, you're not going to want to download and uh, install the update directly from a computer, number one, and then number two, having to do so and lose all of your data. Microsoft on Monday announced its first minor system update for Windows Phone 7 devices. The update does not bring copy and paste or multitasking, but is meant to help ready Windows Phone 7 devices for the larger update coming up later in the quarter. According to Microsoft, this first update for Windows Phone is designed to improve the software update process itself. So while it might not sound exciting, it's still important because it's paving the way for all the future goody-filled updates to your phone, such as copy and paste and an improved marketplace search. The update process involves connecting to a PC or Apple computer using Zune or Windows Phone 7 connector for Mac. But on Tuesday, Microsoft pulled the update that had been sending out to Samsung devices, stating that some were being bricked from the maintenance release. Microsoft said that they're pushing out another fix for issues arising for some users after step six in the update. Through Though there were errors were random, no clear pattern was able to be found. They said in their forums that they're going to be investigating the issue and they're hoping to have something out very soon. 
They said that if your phone does get stuck during the update process, disconnect the device, pull the battery, and put it back in to reboot. If the device is still unresponsive, they recommend taking the phone back to AT&T for a warranty replacement. And then on Thursday, they said that uh, 90% of people who received the update notification have installed the new software. It has gone smoothly, though there were 10% that did experience some problems, um, though nearly half failed for two basic reasons, either a bad internet connection or insufficient computer storage space. So hopefully if you've got a Windows Phone 7 device, you're not having the issues through your update. And German provider O2 on Monday posted a download for pre-plus models, bringing the software version up to 2.1. The software update comes less than two weeks after HP announced that older webOS hardware, such as the pre-Pixie and both models of both plus models, would not be receiving the latest OS. No word if HP would be releasing an update across uh, across other countries or for other models. And RIM this week updated its official Twitter app for BlackBerry to version 1.1. Available through BlackBerry's beta zone, the app features geotagging of tweets, new push notifications for mentions, threaded direct messages, integration with BlackBerry OS social feeds functionality, and support for gestures on touchscreen devices and new languages. OS 4.5 or higher is required. And finally, in software, BlackBerry enthusiast site N4BB this week posted a document detailing the upcoming features of BlackBerry Internet Service 4.0. The updates will include integration with BlackBerry ID, improved BIS and user communications, automatic login improvements, support for new service tiers, and Google Calendar improvements. No timing or geographical release schedule has yet been set. Well, some questions and comments this week. First is a comment from Sunshine. And she says, I wanted to follow up on two listener questions from the February 20th show. The first was James, who wanted to make cheap calls to the UK while visiting Chicago. I recommend, like you did, that we that you get an AT&T SIM once you get to the States and use the AT&T phone number to register for Google Voice, a Google Voice account. It only will cost three cents a minute to make calls. Uh, I've been doing it with my boyfriend. He's over in, He was over in Thailand, and we were using Google Voice, though you may get flagged for having a credit card that's not American, but it's certainly worth a try. The other listener had a question about spam text messages. Verizon has a spam filtering option on its website, and you don't have to block internet uh, individual numbers numbers, you can check a box and block all messages from the internet. You can also block all messages from email addresses, and I believe that all carriers may have some sort of service like this, but I can't say for sure. Most text message spam comes from the internet, so this should eliminate the issue. Well, thanks, Sunshine, for both of those, and uh, definitely, James, take a look at uh, getting an AT&T SIM with a phone number, then getting a Google Voice account. You'll be able to get that uh, relatively quickly. I think you get it within uh, just a couple of hours, if I remember correctly. Uh, And then on on the spam filtering, uh, unfortunately, Unfortunately, Greg was the one who called in on this, and I'm pretty sure he still has an AT&T account. At least he did last time we spoke. Uh, so unfortunately, I, I was looking around, and I did not see an easy way to block messages from the internet like that. Joey, I don't know. Have you seen that for Sprint? No, you know, I haven't looked uh, for that specifically yet. So I'll, I'll check into that, see if it's there. But uh, before, it, they, they did not have that uh, before. It was just blocking individual numbers. But that is a, that is a great option to have with Verizon, though. You definitely can't argue with that. Yeah, very nice. And then that's something that if you're someone who gets a lot of messages, spam messages, go and check those boxes and it'll help you out. You'll uh, you'll be able to, you know, cut down significantly in the number of uh, spam messages that you're getting through your texting. Next is a question from Hassan. He says, I'm a customer of Sprint and I have been since January of 2010. My wife and I haven't been happy with the service, and now with the additional $10 per month premium data plan, I feel like Sprint is raising the fees on us without signing a new agreement or contract. I have an Epic, and my wife has an Evo, but if they were to change, uh, we were to change from these two devices to, let's say, a Pre and a BlackBerry, we would still have to pay the extra money per month. How is that fair? How can Sprint charge us the extra amount for the same phones we had in January 2010, and uh, we paid less for it and call it a premium data contract? Can I cancel my account without the fees? Uh, well, first off, the $10 additional data charge is not on top of the current rate plan that you have for your 4G devices. It's for those that were using uh, operating systems such as BlackBerry, Android, Windows Mobile, or Palm handsets on 3G, not on the 4G. Uh, Further, Sprint has said that the $10 additional fee does not go into effect unless you make a change to your plan, and it is only uh, um, the $10 premium data add-on is only applied to 3G, 4G devices. Uh, It was never simply a charge uh, for 4G, at least that's what Sprint is saying. 
Yeah, exactly. They they kind of made it out to be a 4G charge because it was only on the Evo to start with. Uh, unfortunately, I think Sprint really botched this thing because this is not only just absolutely frustrating to anybody who is a current uh, who currently has Sprint. Because if you just switched BlackBerry handsets, for example, if you bought a new one on eBay or if, even if your old device uh, went bad and you swapped DSNs, they would add this fee on, which is absolutely uh, unacceptable, completely unacceptable. This should have been a, a, a plan that they started doing like they did with the Evo in the Epic. Every new device that gets released, then you add the premium data charge onto that, saying this is a premium device. You need to pay a premium to use this data. You know, whatever new, you know, the, the new uh, Windows phone that's coming out, that would have a $10 add-on. The new Blackberries that will come later this year, then that's $10 additional. No way should they have gone back to any existing devices and put this $10 extra premium fee on. That's, I'm just, it's very frustrating. Well, and Sprint is saying that the charge has always been to address the increased costs of uh, phones that are giving a richer data experience on their network. That's what they're saying with it. And I, I understand that, you know, with the the amount of smartphones flooding their network, they're going to have to spend billions to keep their network at the same uh, you know level as it has been in the past. Um, but I kind of agree with you. I, I wish they would have done this in a different way because it is it is annoying for those that are wanting to make changes to their account. Yeah, because it's basically like you know, uh, like from Hassan says, it's you're 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 getting um, you're getting just this extra charge for something that you wouldn't have paid for, even though you're still under contract with the phone that you would agreed you know with the with the plan you signed up for. So it's just it really is not a, a good way to do it. They should have really went forward with phones and and made it so that that was the phone you couldn't use just like the old serial plans you know you couldn't activate the 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 web os phones you couldn't activate androids um and that's okay that's going forward i mean when you signed up for serial you you had windows mobile and you had uh, the centro and the 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 palm os devices that you could activate on the serial plan that's what existed at that time and that's what you could activate and that's that's fine but you can't proactively then go back and you know back in the past and say okay well since you have a 3g device we're just going to charge you ten dollars more it's just not it's not a good way to do it and unfortunately, uh, because Sprint isn't changing anything on you unless you initiate a change with them, you're not going to be able to cancel your contract without a fee. So um, you're, you're stuck with your devices. It sounds like you, uh, when you got them, it was January of 2010. So you're, you've got another uh, 11 months here before you can make changes. And uh, you know, fortunately, you with your 4G plant, your phones are are not going to be seeing this charge. This is just. Uh, for 3G devices. So even if you were to make a change to another Evo or Epic, you're not going to see another $10. So that's positive, but uh, still annoying nonetheless for those that are on Sprint and um, you know not on a, on a good plan like Ciro that, that doesn't add on those fees. So anyway, next is a question from Sean. He says, guys, I recently discovered the show through the native BlackBerry podcast app and enjoy listening every week. I followed Mickey's footsteps and bought a used Verizon Bowl 9650 on eBay. I really enjoy the phone and it's a worthy up Upgrade from my Storm 2. I have two questions about OS 6. I was hoping you could help me with the first. My Storm 2 with OS 5, when I entered a password, a quick pop-up of each letter would appear when I typed. Is the feature gone with OS 6? Second, with the OS 5 browser and web page fonts, uh, we're all similar size. With OS 6, every page seems to be rendered differently. The font sizes range from very tiny to very large. I've played with the settings and the font sizes all over the place. Any suggestions? Uh, well, on that first question, um, you know, when you're you're talking about uh, when you're entering the password it'll quick pop up. Um, I I know what you're talking about, and I I don't know that there's a setting for that, but I I have not seen that in OS six. On the web page side, this is just kind of how it works when you've got a, a WebKit browser. It's a brand new browser that um, it's it's pulling. Well, I guess the, the easy way to say it is it's pulling how the, the page is supposed to look. So when you've got a page that is does not have a mobile formatted version on it, it's going to pull up and be very very small. Well, in fact, Mickey, even the mobile formatted versions come up very, very small, depending on how the page is uh, written and the, the, the graphics drive the size of the font. And literally, this drives me insane because you cannot make those microscopic pages show any bigger. Um, if you're on a mobile site, you can't make it any bigger. If you're on a regular website, you can, in fact, zoom it in by hitting the I key or the O key to zoom in and out. 
Um, there's also one feature that they kind of have column view that you're used to in OS 5. You can't hit the Z key like you used to be able to, but if you get an hourglass over some tiny, tiny print, you can double tap the, um, the trackpad and it'll zoom in and put it into a column view of that text. So it, it does help only in that one case do you get something that's kind of like the, the OS 5 browser. But if you've got a mobile formatted website with a big graphic on it that shrinks the text down to an unreadable, there's no way to zoom it in and actually be able to read the text. They, they've got a lot of work to do with this, with this browser. Let's hope that uh, version 6.1 and the new browser uh, that comes with that will will be helpful because I, I'm, um, you know, that that was kind of annoying. It's nice to see all these nice enhancements, but when you can't go to a you know any old website and expect to see the same you know version of it when you're looking at a screen that's what two inches, just over two inches. I mean, it's it's quite annoying because it it it, it makes sense for that type of browser on a big screen that's, you know, got a four inch or five inch screen on it. But when you're talking about something as small as a BlackBerry, you, you would hope that it would be more efficient with that. There's no excuse for them, uh, for the, 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 the browser itself to render the page that way and not give you the option to set a minimum font size for those microscopic prints. It's just, it, it doesn't make any sense because it is text. It's, it, it, there should be an option in there to make that font a minimum size no matter what it does to the formatting, because if you've chosen that, okay, makes sense. But to, to make the, to, to make it this way where you can't read it or it's huge, it's, it really is silly. Yeah. I'm not a, I'm not a fan of that, but at the same time, I am happy with the, the upgrades that they made. I, I would, I would take the OS six browser over the, over the five, um, that's just me. I know it's. I know Joey's kind of kind of on the. You know, on the fence. it's boy. I am on the fence. There's so many uh, advantages to column view and the browser in OS five. Granted, the speed ones wasn't one of them. The thing was slower than molasses. But I know they've done a lot better with the, the more recent builds of OS five, uh, especially on the bold, which is nice. You actually have the choice to go back to OS five if you do not like OS six. You can install the. Uh, Five point uh, whatever point zero point zero point ten thirty I believe is the latest version. So you can install that, which is really nice. You have that choice. Hmm. Well, uh, either way, Sean, uh, I'm glad you're enjoying the show. Welcome and uh, enjoy your your Verizon Bold. That's one of my uh, favorite Blackberries. It's probably the one I would recommend to uh, anybody who's looking for a Blackberry on Verizon, at least for right now. Uh, I'm guessing you, like many, are holding out for later this year when we see some of those new ones come out for the CDMA carriers. Next is a comment from Adam. He says, Mickey and Joey, I've enjoyed listening to your show for a long time. And when listening to last week's show, number 247, I was surprised to hear Joey's express, Joey expressed disappointment about Exchange ActiveSync not containing NoteSync. I'm a senior technical product manager manager for the Exchange ActiveSync uh, team, and I shared Joey's desire to see Notes syncing added on mobile phones. But I did want to let you know that Exchange ActiveSync actually does allow Notes syncing uh, since... Exchange ActiveSync is a patent-licensed protocol. It, it is up to the patent licensees like Apple, HTC, Samsung, and Nokia to choose what features they enable. I wrote a post about it in the variants in EAS implementations, and I just wanted to set the record straight since those of us here on the Exchange Mobility team work very hard to meet the customer's needs. As for Windows Phone 7, syncing of notes is provided with SkyDrive, not Exchange, through the OneNote application. So notes can be synced with Windows Phone 7 devices and backed up, accessed on desktops, and more, but it uses a different protocol instead of the Exchange Active Sync. For users, this should provide a much richer experience as OneNote allows for images, audio clips, rich text, and more. I love the show. Keep up the great work. Take care, Adam. Well, Adam, first of all, thank you very much for writing in and uh, providing the clarity on this. We're going to put both uh, links, the one to the protocol documentation on the uh, what Exchange ActiveSync actually allows for, and then also your post about the implementations and, and the differences between them. We'll put those in the show notes under comment from Adam. Uh, as far as OneNote, I totally agree. I think OneNote provides a great note syncing experience. Uh, when I was using it on Windows Phone 7, uh, the Samsung Focus that I was trying out, the fact that I can just throw, I can record an audio clip and throw it in a note uh, without having to go to a separate you know, uh, voice recording type of application is huge. And I love the, that I can do that. Also, images and just embedding all that rich text in there is, uh, is, is wonderful. And I think it takes note syncing to the next level. 
Yeah, it really does. And I'm glad to see that uh, memo syncing is part of the standard. And I'm, I'm just disappointed that uh, it, either it wasn't implemented before or why, like, the old Windows Mobile never implemented it and why it wasn't really part of the uh, part of it uh, early on as far as even the Microsoft products go. So that's uh, one part that is a little bit disappointing because I think if maybe Windows Mobile launched with it, maybe the other uh, uh, licensees of it would have started using it too, which... Um, cause to me, it's a really good feature and, you know, there's things like, uh, Evernote, which is very handy. It does uh, a decent job of syncing your notes around, but I tried it on the Blackberry and it's just, it, to me, it's just frustratingly limited because you, you cannot do uh, like uh, not even one eighth of what you can do on a, a, like a windows browser, for example, if you're doing, uh, notes on there so I, I don't know. It's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's so nice to have these things natively built in. I, I would agree. I think Evernote is probably the the best one I've used. It does have a native, <coughs> excuse me, client for the Mac. Um, I use that to create notes a lot of times, and then I can access them. Um, you know, whether it's the BlackBerry or um, you know an iPhone or whatever it is, but um, it's not nearly the notes syncing that I would love to see. Um, but it's you know, and it's it's slow, and so I you know I don't use it all the time because of some of the limitations that it has. But uh, it is great to hear that it it is in there, and at some point maybe we could see this this happen. But um, I don't know. It doesn't seem like anyone's got a real interest in it at this point. So. And the final question today comes from Greg. He says, Mickey and Joey, I have a rather lengthy question regarding 4G spectrum and potential interference. I'm an instrument rated airplane and helicopter pilot. And for those that don't know, there are two main ways pilots navigate when flying through the clouds, fog, or areas of reduced visibility. One is ground-based navigation in the 108 megahertz range. The other is GPS. Although highly reliable, the government has plans to phase out all forms of ground-based radio navigation in favor of GPS, thereby putting all of our navigation eggs in one basket. There has been a lot of concern that LightSquared's 4G network will interfere with GPS systems due to its proximity of frequency to the and the high power compared to the weak signals received by GPS satellites. Companies such as Garmin that make both airborne automotive and handheld GPS receivers have voiced strong concern for these 4G signals uh, that they will completely overload most GPS receivers, making them unreliable or unusable, especially for landing aircraft. Some are saying that they may cause the FCC to completely reallocate 4G spectrum in the interest of maintaining a safe and reliable GPS infrastructure. I'm wondering if you've heard anything about this. Supposedly, talk about this is being kept quiet so as to not alarm the public. Thanks for the great show, Greg. Well, Joey, great uh, great question, and thanks, Greg, for writing in with this one. We actually uh, wrote up a little uh, post this week about it, so you can check that one out. We'll put a link in the show notes about that. But what do you think about this? Well, it, you know what? It's a very interesting uh, conversation because it, it's, there's there's a whole bunch in here. You know, going from the the VORs for the, the ground based navigation that has been has been used in uh, aircraft navigation for for many many years, to the to the fact that you know you're using that for landing, you're using that for navigation when you're an IFR, and it's just it it really does bring up the the conversation about redundancy and of course safety. If you've got, uh, you know, commercial aircraft, for example, that are just just using GPS for navigation, you know, they are susceptible because GPS signals are much, much lower power than ground-based uh, navigation aids. Um, I, I don't know what the power output is of VORs, but they're they're definitely more than what you get from GPS. And of course, they're not subject to the same style inter- interference because of the power, because you can overcome it. And it really, you know, systems like Loran is also kind of on the way out. They've reduced the number of bands and they're, they're reducing the number of transmitters for that navigation as well. And let's keep these things going as long as they're possible. But, you know, these systems are a lot more costly to operate than GPS. And that's why they become kind of uh, questionable that they, they, they're maybe not going to keep them maintained to the level that they do right now, because obviously these newer systems are much more cost effective. But I think that uh, it's definitely something that needs to be addressed immediately if, if uh, encroaching technology becomes an issue for GPS because uh, for safety of pilots, but then everybody else as well. I mean, how many GPS do you have in your cell phones, in your vehicles? It really is an important system for you know police, fire, and, and many other aspects of, uh, of our basically our daily lives now. 
So GPS satellites are transmitting on the 1559 to 1610 megahertz range. Uh, the light squared spectrum that we're talking about that is adjacent goes from 1525 to 1559. So depending on uh, where the towers are put and, and where your receivers are, uh, you know, their plan is 40,000 base stations uh, on the ground that will provide very strong signals and could easily interfere with GPS. Uh, Garmin, like uh, Greg said, has uh, p- voiced concerns of this, that it will result in widespread GPS jamming and will deny GPS service over large areas of the U.S. They also, uh, LightSquared came back and said that they have not found that any uh, interference is is there, uh, though they have got until the 25th of February, uh, which actually was this past Friday, uh, to submit a plan to the FCC. So we'll be looking for that this coming week here to see, because LightSquared wants to be you know doing lots of real-world testing with this rather than simulators so that they can see the, the real-world uh We'll just say effects of what this is going to mean for GPS, because it, obviously if, if it does become an issue, I don't see the FCC allowing them to move forward. Yeah, I, I don't see it either. But of course, the power of the FCC has been kind of a reduced here recently. But I, I, you know, I think with the, the safety in mind here, it'll definitely be a, a lot more important to them in, in, as far as making sure that it doesn't interfere with the bands. And, uh, you know, the thing about, you know, phasing out the ground based navigation, it's just it is really disappointing to see them doing this because I know it is expensive to, to maintain these networks, but overall in the budget of the United States, that's an absolute drop in the bucket. I mean, it's just nothing. And once the system is gone, it's not coming back. I mean, there's no way to re-implement it. There's no way to retrain everybody on it once it's gone. So it really just... It, it really is disappointing that they're doing that. You know, same thing with, uh, you know, many other aspects aspects we've had in the U.S. You know, they let things go. And once it's gone, you can't get it back. Like the rail lines we have, you know, we used to have lots and lots of lots of railroads around the U.S., huge infrastructure that used to exist that no longer does. And to get it back would be, it's just impossible. You cannot buy the right of way back for all the land that was, you know, now converted from railroads back to something else. And it's one of those things, once you've lost this ground-based navigation, you cannot get it back. Mm. It's a, it's an interesting point. It's an interesting story. Very much uh, something that has not been uh, brought up until very recently. And so we'll be, we'll be watching it closely. And and Greg makes a good point that it has been kept very quiet. Um, We're not going to be quiet about it. If we hear stuff about it, we're going to talk about it because we want everyone to be aware of of what this could potentially mean. Um, And, you know, we talked last week, light squared is, is looking to put, you know, in place a very vast LTE network that could, be great for consumers, um, but not at the expense of good, solid, reliable GPS coverage. And for pilots, Greg, I, I totally understand what you're saying. And being, uh, you know, being put all putting all your eggs in one basket, it really makes you need this type of navigation to be reliable. So thank you very much for your comments there. And with that, if you have any questions or comments for us, you can send us an email to questions at thecellphonejunkie.com or give us a call, 206-203-3734. Also, feel free to text us to 775-773-TCPJ. That's 8275. You can also follow us on Facebook. All the stories over at facebook.com slash thecellphonejunkie or on Twitter at twitter.com slash cellphonejunkie. I am TCPJ underscore Mickey. Joey is TCPJ underscore Joey. Thank you very much, Joey. As always, for your time, we'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.